0: Hey, this morning, I'm going to share with you uh, out of Second Samuel chapter 8, a, a story that reflects on an interesting time period in the life of, of King David. I just flew in a, a day or so ago from Washington, D.C. I was speaking at an event there at the Museum of the Bible. A few years ago, a group of believers got together and said, we need a museum in the nation's capital that is dedicated to helping people experience the transformative power of the Holy Bible. So they got together, they raised about a billion bucks they built a beautiful facility a few blocks away from the Capitol building. And today it houses artifacts from all around the world that speak to the historicity, validity, and authority of the word of God. It's incredible. I was on this tour and they took us through one portion of the museum and uh, at, that, at that hallway in the museum, they, they had a wall of all the big mega donors to the museum of the Bible. And I was so struck by some of the names that I recognized. Coca-Cola, Interstate Batteries. And here was my favorite, Coors Light. (laughs) I kid you not. I thought the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. (laughs) So I asked the museum curator, I said, why are these companies giving money to the museum of the Bible? And he said, pastor, I can't explain it outside of even people who have yet to put faith in Christ Jesus, understand the value of the word of God. For in fact, scripture says, even the demons believe and they tremble. I just wonder if we could get a couple Christians in the Northwest who believe and they tremble. So today we go into the word of God, which is sharper than any two edged sword. It divides bone and marrow, thought and intent. And if you allow it, it will function as a seed planted in the soil of your heart that produces 30, 60, 100 fold. In 2 Samuel 8, the story begins. In the course of time, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David also defeated the Moabites. He also defeated the king of Zobah. He also captured a 1,000 of his chariots, 7,000 horsemen, and 20,000 foot soldiers. And when the Syrians of Damascus came, David killed 22,000 of them. And David became famous after he returned from striking down 18,000 of the Edomites. Now David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all of his people, and the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. And the tribes of Israel have been united. The Ark of the Covenant has been returned to Jerusalem. The house of Saul has been defeated. And David has both been anointed and coronated as king. The nation is coming into a period of rest because Israel has never been more strong, more successful, or more blessed. But prior to the great success of David, there's an even greater conflict he must first endure. See, David is married to Saul's daughter. He is best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And David serves Saul as a loyal subject well before ever becoming king himself. And if you think your in-laws are difficult, you haven't met David's over the course of about 10 years, Saul tries to kill David no less than 11 different times. But the honor of David is greater than the dysfunction and the jealousy of Saul. When asked to play his heart before Saul, David agreed. When asked to fight Saul's enemies, David volunteered. When given an opportunity to kill Saul himself, David refused to touch the Lord's anointed. Why? Because honor doesn't work because other people are honorable. It works because we are. Honor doesn't mean I always agree. Honor doesn't mean I always understand. Honor means I fear God more than I love my own opinions, and I'm not going to miss out on an opportunity to receive. See, honor is the currency of heaven. And when man decides to honor, God decides to bless. If I won't honor it, How can God trust me with it? If I won't honor resources, how can God release them? If I won't honor people, how can God send them? If I won't honor the gifts, how can the spirit give them? If I won't honor the old, how will our foundations be established? If I won't honor the young, where will our passion and our energy come from? Here is the truth. You can't receive from what you won't honor. I was preaching one of the first conferences that I had ever gotten invited to many years ago on one of the Indian reservations here in, in Western Washington and I showed up and they had their worship service and they said, now a young man named Russell Johnson is gonna come deliver the word and I'm preaching and I'm looking all across the back row. <laughs> and the elders are sitting there with their arms crossed, scowl on their face looking at me like I was just chopped liver. (laughs) After I got done preaching, one of the ladies came forward. She said, Pastor, I've got to repent. You've got to forgive me. She said, when you stepped on that stage, all I could think is, why does he have a stupid haircut? I said, well, thank you. All I could think is, why is he wearing these dumb-looking clothes? I was in such a bad attitude. I thought, God, I drove all this way and this is the pastor you sent to preach? But she says, you got up to share. And near the end of your sermon, the anointing of God hit the room. And I realize it's exactly what I need to hear. It's exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I just want to come forward to receive prayer because I am positioning myself into a place of honor so that I can receive. Can I tell you what wages war against honor? Familiarity, unforgiveness, and unhealed wounds. Oh, see, my last pastor hurt me. My last boss fired me. That last relationship, it ended badly. So in an effort to reduce my chances at getting hurt again, let me operate with perpetual suspicion. Let me keep people at a distance and let me never open my heart to receive again. Let me help you this morning. Honor isn't honor until it's difficult. Just like mercy isn't merciful until it's undeserved. For if honor was easy, everyone would do it and most people don't. You've got to see this today. Honor isn't a reaction, it's a choice. I am choosing to prefer you over myself. I am choosing to view you as Christ views you. I am choosing to position myself in such a way that I can receive. I know it's not easy, but I'm not living life in reaction to how people have treated me. I am taking the high road and choosing honor because I simply cannot afford to miss out on my blessing. It is not natural. It is spiritual. But you are not a natural person. You are a spiritual person. And with God's help, we can make the choice to honor today. And here's what I found. If you will honor what other people won't, you will receive what other people can't. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of going to a car lot, buying a car that you swear is unique that nobody else in the entire city owns, only to drive it off of the car lot and recognize that there is at least 17 different people on your same freeway who own your exact car in your exact color from your exact year. For me, that's what it's like to recognize patterns in Scripture. Oh, I didn't know it was in there before, but now that I do, I see it sprouting up every time I open the pages of this book. The principle of honor is all over Scripture. Let me prove it to you. 1 Timothy 5, elders are worthy of double honor. Hebrews 13, marriage is honorable amongst all men. First Thessalonians 4, self-control, it is honorable. Ephesians 5, wives, honor your husbands. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Matthew 10, if you honor a prophet, you can receive the prophet's reward. Revelation 4, the lamb is worthy to receive honor. And Ephesians 6, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. I am particularly struck by that last verse, by what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. See, he is quoting the fifth commandment from Exodus 20. Honor your father and your mother. If you will honor the last generation, not because they always got it right, not because they never messed up, not because you would do things exactly the same way, but if you would honor because the scripture commands us to, God in response would bless you with a long life and an abundance of resource. See, the word honor in the Greek means to properly assign value and then to treat accordingly. In every sense of the word, Saul has not lived an honorable life and does not deserve honorable treatment. But David refuses to allow the sin against him to produce sin inside of him. See, Saul and his son, Jonathan, eventually end up dead. No, not at the hands of David, but in battle against the Philistines. This difficult chapter of David's life is finally over. He literally never has to think about these people again. This 30 year Jerry Springer episode is finally coming to a close. Finally, the story has ended. Finally, David can move on, except for one little problem. A problem called covenant. See, David made a covenantal promise to Jonathan before Jonathan died. That regardless of what happened, David would look after Jonathan's family and treat them like his own. So a chapter later, King David sits down for a meal at his royal table and he gets possessed by a question that will change the life of another person. For in 2 Samuel 9 and verse 3, that question is asked. Now David said, is there anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. David is seeking to show kindness to Saul's grandson. And in doing so, this says more about the character of David than anything else. David didn't owe it. Saul's house didn't deserve it. But because honor is who David was, he asks the question, is there anyone left that I may show them the covenantal faithfulness of God by giving them a seat at my table? Hear me, friend. You know that your heart has been healed from the trauma of your past. When you like David can say I know you tried to hurt me. I know you tried to injure me I know you tried to curse me cancel me kill me and abandon me But I refuse to allow my pain to become the focal point for my identity I serve a covenant-keeping God who breaks generational curses and heals generational pain And David is making a choice I am not repeating the cycle of soul. I am not throwing spears at the next generation. And sometimes the best way to honor those who have caused you pain is by refusing to repeat their same mistakes in the life of somebody else. I have to be for others what I didn't have myself. In fact, What you lacked growing up is a pretty good indicator of what God is asking you to provide for somebody else. And why was the son of Jonathan laying in his feet? The Bible tells us that story in 2 Samuel 4. He was five years old when that report came that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle by the Philistines. And when the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became disabled. And his name was Mephibosheth. A son was injured Because a father died. And when the father died, those who were placed in charge of his care dropped him as they ran away in fear. Let me just go ahead and make this super practical for you today. Some of you are here this morning and you are dealing with wounds in your heart because the people who were supposed to care for you injured you instead that spouse who left you, that father who abandoned you, that church that crushed you, that boss who hurt you, that family member who abused you. It wasn't your fault, and you probably never received the apology that you deserved. So let me, just for a moment, stand in the place of that father, that pastor, that family member, and say, I am so sorry. I am so grieved on your behalf and when it broke your heart it shattered God's but here is your invitation it is time to come back to the table because only a meal with the king can heal the wounds of the human soul see forgiveness doesn't mean that what they did to you was okay Forgiveness means I refuse to be a prisoner to my injury and today I'm moving on. Here's the reality, watch. When fathers disappear, it cripples sons. When dads never come back home, it damages children. When shepherds vanish into the night, it wounds the sheep. But here's what I found. Getting hurt is unavoidable, but staying hurt is a decision. And although you may have been dropped by man, you have always been held by God. My identity doesn't come from the injury. It comes from the God who held me close when everything inside of me wanted to quit. And here's what I love about verse 4 it says he was disabled, but his name was Mephibosheth. Friend, is this not the gospel? I have an injury, but I am not known by my injury for instead God calls me by name. Your name isn't trauma. Your name isn't abused. Your name isn't depressed. Your name isn't abandoned. Your name isn't disabled. Your name is beloved and that is who you always be. See, injuries should have taken you out. Abuse should have taken you out. Infirmity should have taken you out, except for one little problem, a problem called covenant. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our triune God. And do you know what the name Mephibosheth means in the Hebrew? Shame destroyer. Can't you see where this story is headed? Don't you see the redemption narrative at work? Jesus is the one who sits on the throne of David eternally and he invites you to his table to heal the injuries of your heart. Why? Because from day one, you were born to destroy the works of darkness and shame is losing its authority to tell your story. So the king said to him, where is he? And King David sent and brought him out of the house of Mekir, the son of Emile, from Lodabar. Can you imagine how terrified Mephibosheth would have been when that knock came on his door? The king wants to see you. Oh, if I'm Mephibosheth, this is what I'm thinking. This can only mean one thing. David found out I was still alive. He has come to seek revenge by paying me back for the sins of Saul. Remember, according to the old covenant, the sins of the father are visited to the third and fourth generation, which means David has every right to execute Mephibosheth for the sins of Saul but David isn't seeking Mephibosheth for the sake of retribution, but instead for the sake of kindness. Do you know why God is searching for you this morning? Trust me, you have already punished yourself enough. God is looking for you in the garden. He is calling you by name, for his plans are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a good hope and a great future. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Then David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Oh, Mephibosheth wasn't responsible for his injury, but he was responsible for his healing. David, I still don't know what you would want with an old cripple like me, but let me bow in honor Let me respond in reverence. Let me reply with gratitude. I know I'm different. I know I'm disabled. I know I'm passed over, but despite my limitations, I'm making myself available to the king. Ah, I have found that so many folks don't approach God because they fear judgment, not realizing that if they would just respond to his voice, they would instead receive mercy. Why? Because the Lord is gracious and he is full of compassion. He is slow to anger and he is great in mercy. Your healing. Your restoration, your deliverance, friend, it begins the day that you trust him enough to answer his call. And watch what David, a type of Christ, says. Do not fear. I will show kindness on behalf of the Father. I will restore, and you will eat at my table forever. Could you hear Jesus Saying that over you today, do not fear. I will show you kindness because of the Father. I will restore your life and you will dine at my table. Oh, David says it this way. Surely goodness will follow me. Surely mercy will follow me. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. It's true. Mephibosheth didn't technically deserve kindness, but neither did David. Think about all of David's mistakes, and yet God still finds a way to use him. See, maybe what most unites us in this room today is that we are on the receiving end of a kind God who doesn't give us what we deserve, but instead has given us what Christ deserves. So Mephibosheth, he bowed down. And he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Watch the years of hiding out, ashamed of his injury, embarrassed of his disability, scared of his future. It had taken a toll on Mephibosheth's identity. I'm a dead dog. I am worthless and without merit. I am only a burden on those who are around me. And do you know what David's response is? He re-inherits Mephibosheth. He gives him servants to work the land, and he gives him the blessing that should have come from his natural father, but instead was cut short. Can I tell you today, you may have missed out on a blessing from your natural father but you have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness from your spiritual father and he is the one who balances the books of your family line I wish I would have grown up in a Christian family I wish I would have had parents who would pray for me when I was young. I wish I would have had folks who dragged me to church during those formative years of my life. Oh, friend, we can't go back in time, but we could make a decision starting today. You may have not come from a healthy family, but I bet with God's help, a healthy family can come from you. You may have come from injury, but I bet with God's help, healing can come from you. You may have come out of abuse, but I bet safety and love could come from you. I bet if you would trust God today with your unknown future God would make your path straight your highways low, your low ways high, I bet he would cause a river to appear in the wilderness why? because that's the God that we serve I know you missed out on your inheritance Mephibosheth I know I don't even owe it to you but let me give you back more than you ever had before So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate continually at the king's table. And yet, he was still lame in both his feet. I, I am so fascinated by the way this story ends. Mephibosheth lives the rest of his life dwelling in Jerusalem. Eating at the king's table yet the author of 2nd Samuel sees it fit to still include this detail He was still lame In both his feet Friend I can't promise you that your scars will ever disappear but I can tell you this Jesus can take the pain of your yesterday and turn it into the triumph of your tomorrow. I can't rewind time and somehow change the dysfunction of the family you were raised in, but I can tell you this, Jesus is giving you a spiritual family with a spiritual table, and it's time to eat again. I can't promise that your feet will ever work like they used to, but I can tell you this, in the midst of your injury, God can give you a reason to sing, a reason to shout, a reason to dance, and a reason to hope, because this is the God that we serve. Here's the reality. We are not David. We are Mephibosheth, injured by life, separated from God, living in shame and in the fullness of time. God sends Jesus that while we were yet sinners he would die for us and he has called us by name. And when you hear the Savior call you by name, it reminds me of Mary weeping at the garden tomb. She mistakes Jesus for the gardener. Where have you put his body? And Jesus responds, Mary. And in that moment, her eyes are open. And she says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And in that instant, she has a revelation of the nearness of the one that she has worshipped. That's the power of a God who calls you by name. See, the tragedy is so many people allow the injuries that they have experienced to be the reason why they can't come back to the table. Let me get my feet working first. Let me get my marriage working first. Let me get my addictions under control first. And then once I'm cleaned up and I'm presentable, I'll come to the Lord's table. But what if true healing isn't even possible apart from the Lord's table? What if the key to your fractured identity is found in sitting in a chair at a table that he has prepared with your name already on it? What if... It is not I've got to fix my five marriages and the one I'm with now is not even my husband what if it is come meet a man who has told me everything that I've ever done could this be the Messiah I think he is offering living water that I may never thirst again you'll never feel clean enough to come to the table you'll never feel righteous enough to come to the table you'll never feel good enough to come to the table but all of our works are like filthy rags unto him but today we of God in Christ Jesus and the one who hung on the cross. He told me I could come. This is the power of a God who calls you by name. When Jesus is standing outside of Lazarus' tomb, and Mary and Martha are weeping. Why weren't you here? If only you were here, this tragedy wouldn't have happened. If only you were here. That abuse I wouldn't have experienced. If only you were here. And Jesus weeps and groans inside of himself. And then he speaks over that grave. Lazarus, come forth. I want you to know today, friend, in a real way. God is calling you by name. He has seen every step that you have taken. He has seen every painful moment that you have experienced. And that God, the one who from his wounds healing flows, that God is giving you an invitation today. Friend, there is only one celebrity in all of Christendom And he's got holes in his hands and holes in his feet. And when his side was pierced, blood and water flowed out. And with every drop of blood, that on Calvary's hill, it screamed redemption over every part of your story. That is the God that we serve. No matter where you've been, what you've done, or what you've gone through, you got a seat at my table. More importantly, you've got a seat at God's table. And friend, it is time to come home. I know that last church injured you, but you can't afford to be a homeless Christian. I know that last father abandoned you, but you can't afford to be an orphan God has called you by name he has settled your debt he has paid your sin and that God today he is calling us by name and that's the story of Mephibosheth shame destroyer who receives an invitation from the king and it forever changes his story come on would you stand with me as we close Come on, can you feel the weight of God this morning? Come on, can you feel his spirit at work? The Bible says, if you would hear him calling your name, do not harden your heart. (laughs) I know I was preaching to somebody today. Your heart was beating. You felt like, who gave pastor my personal diary on the way to church? I'm telling you, God knew you were going to be here. The spirit of God knew where you was going to be sitting or standing on a Sunday morning. And friend, this message is for you. This is the last day that shame and condemnation gets to tell your story. This is the last day the spirit of abuse and trauma gets to keep you up all night, racked with nightmares and anxiety. This is the the last day that the pain of yesterday gets to dictate your vision for tomorrow. For in the house of God, the anointing of God still destroys the yoke of bondage. And that is my prayer for you this morning. Come on, would you join me, Father? Now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask for your spirit's help in our time of need. We appeal. To the great physician today, God, by your own spirit, would you do a work of healing, redemption, and turnaround in minds, hearts, bodies, and spirits? Some of you in this room today, and you've had like attachment disorder. I I can't attach to another church because the last church I came out of hurt me. I can't attach to a new community because the last community betrayed me. I don't know if I can approach God as a good father because I didn't have a good earthly example. And I'm telling you today, friend, that by God's Spirit, He is changing the narrative of your life. He is calling you by name, and your responsibility is to respond and say, here am I, God. I feel like a dead dog, but if you can use me for your glory, here am I. God, today we cancel every lie of the enemy that has waged warfare in the mind of God's people. I break the trauma of abuse. I break the trauma of family dysfunction. I break the trauma—hear me very clearly—of church dysfunction. And I say over you today, Lazarus, come forth, Mephibosheth, come forth, Mary, come forth, This is your season to soar. No more dead dog living. No more graveyard existing. No more tombstone dwelling. This is your season to come alive. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus like you should. Maybe at one time you did, but if you were to be honest, you are far from him. With no shame. And with no condemnation, friend, he is calling your name not to judge you, not to be angry at you, not to harm you, but to show the kindness of the Father because it is still the kindness and goodness of God that leads men unto repentance. If you are here today and you're in any one of those categories, do not harden your heart. We pray these things now in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And they-